One of the all-time classic movies ever made is Fiddler on the Roof. I'm sure many of you have seen the movie or the play. It's about a Jewish family and community that seeks to keep its bearings in the midst of a society that is rapidly changing. And the way this group of Jewish people seeks to keep its bearings is by holding on to its tradition, which is the title of the key song that opens the story. It's a humorous story that carries a very complex message. Therefore, even though it is quite humorous at times, there is a seriousness and a sadness to the story. One of the saddest parts of the story is the fact that the father of the main family doesn't know where to bend and give up tradition because he doesn't really know which traditions have come out of Scripture and which ones are merely tradition. You see, there are some good traditions that need to be held on to by those of us who have come behind. Let me show you what I mean by turning with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 by way of introduction. Before we turn to our series through Mark, turn over past Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, then 1 and 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, when we hear the word traditions in Scripture, my guess is that for many of us, we immediately think of some kind of man-made ritual or regulation that is in opposition to the Word of God. And the Word is sometimes used that way. In Matthew 15, 6, Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of His day by saying, Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. In Colossians 2, 8, the Apostle Paul warned the believers in Colossae by saying, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principle of the world and not according to Christ. So the word tradition can, certainly can be used with negative connotations, but it doesn't always have a negative meaning, as we see here in Second Thessalonians 2. Another example, in 1 Corinthians 11.2, Paul commended the church in Corinth by saying this to them, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and you keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Now why does he say it that way? Because the word tradition simply means something passed down or something passed along. Therefore, when used in that way and not in a negative way, it can simply refer to the truth of God's Word because truth was passed down by the apostles who received that truth from Jesus and from the Holy Spirit. 
So here in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, when Paul exhorts the Thessalonians to hold the traditions, he is basically saying to them, hold on to the word of God, which we passed on to you through our oral preaching and through written letters. Verse 15 is basically an exhortation to stand fast in the Lord and hold on to the word of God. I show you this passage because it's important to understand that tradition isn't something that is automatically bad, as we might tend to think, but but when tradition contradicts or runs contrary to the Word of God, it is something that is bad. That's what we see in our text this morning in Mark chapter 7. So let's turn there together as we resume our series through the Gospel of Mark, this fast-moving, fast-paced account of the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus. Mark chapter 7. Please follow along as I read verses 1 through 13 for us. Mark chapter 7. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say... If a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down. And many such things you do. Someone has said that the seven famous last words of the church are, we've never done it that way before. There is a lot of truth in that statement. It is our tendency, just like the Jews of old, to get comfortable in our traditions so that we are unwilling to evaluate them and unwilling to change them. Now that's not so big of a deal when our, our traditions are simply neutral neither right nor wrong. But when our traditions contradict or run contrary 
to the Word of God, that is serious business. And that is exactly what we see in this text before us. The Jews of Jesus' day had developed a number of traditions, and they never bothered to consider if those traditions lined up with the Word of God. In fact, it is probably safe to say that in some cases, they actually developed their traditions so they could conveniently get around what the Word of God had to say. That's why Jesus used some strong words with them as we see in these verses before us. They were more concerned with keeping their traditions than they were with honoring God and obeying His Word. That kind of ritualistic, perfunctory approach to religion is frankly sickening to our Lord. Let me show you this in a couple of other passages before we dive right into this text here in Mark chapter 7. Back up with me into Hebrew Scripture to the book of Isaiah chapter 1. All the way back into Hebrew Scripture after the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, then Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. Notice down in verse 11. This is the Lord talking to the people of Israel. And he says this, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, the Jews of Isaiah's day had become ceremonial, superficial, and perfunctory in their carrying out of God's stipulations in the Mosaic Law. In some ways, they were doing the right thing. But they were doing it without any heart, and they were simply going through the motions. As you can see from these verses, that was disgusting to the Lord. Utterly disgusting. Then keep turning over to the right a little bit to the book of Amos, chapter 5. After Isaiah's Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, then Amos, chapter 5. Here's another similar passage to the one we just read in Isaiah 1. Amos chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. 
God, again, is speaking to the people of Israel, and he says, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. You can see that God hated that approach to living back then, and he still hates it now. Jesus' strongest words in the Gospels were directed against those who supposedly carried out the commandments of God, but they did so in a ritualistic, perfunctory way. Eight times in Matthew 23, Jesus pronounces woe to those who are like that. So, beloved, we must be on guard for our tendency to reduce our Christian lives down to a ceremonial, superficial carrying out of the commands of Scripture. Listen, when we do the right thing, but we do it without any heart, and we simply go through the motions, we are in a nauseating spiritual condition. With that as background, let's return to our text in Mark chapter 7 to consider this confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Mark, you may remember, is writing to a Roman audience. Therefore, he explains, as you probably noticed when we were reading through the text, he explains Jewish customs, Jewish practices. These would not have been familiar to his Roman audience. And so this story has a unique element to it because Mark pauses and puts in a number of editorial comments right in the text and in the story. He tells us in verse 1, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, the him being Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Don't miss that. Remember, they are up in Galilee, and these scribes and Pharisees traveled all the way from Jerusalem up to Galilee because they had a beef with Jesus and his disciples. They were determined to get to the bottom of this. That's how serious they were. These two groups mentioned here, the scribes and the Pharisees, were the religious elite in Israel. It's important to understand that. This was the religious elite. Our view of these two groups, because we know what Jesus had to say about them sometimes in the Gospels, our view is that they were obvious and bare-faced hypocrites. Listen, beloved, they weren't. They weren't. Both groups started out with commendable purposes. The scribes were the copyists of the law of God, and in an attempt to make sure the law of God was not violated... They built up some other commandments as a protection fence around God's law. That was the scribes. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were the ones who had separated themselves off from life to make it their one aim of life to keep all of that scribal law and the law of God. So you could probably say that both groups began with good intentions and good motives and a good focus, 
but they slipped into a religion of externals. They became consumed with a rigid and an external conformity to the commandments of God and man. Because they mixed the two kinds of commandments, human and divine, they ended up letting the commands of God fall by the wayside. That's what comes out in this confrontation. Verse 2, Mark tells us, Now when they saw some of Jesus' disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. Now there are two things to understand about this story. First of all, the issue was not washing hands for the purpose of cleanliness. I'm sure the disciples would wash their hands before eating if their hands were dirty from handling fishing nets and slimy fish and other stuff like that. So that wasn't the issue. The issue was ceremonial washings, which is the second thing to understand about this story. That's what Mark mentions in the next verse. He says in verse 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands uh, literally with the fist, but it could be translated in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. That's what we're talking about in this story. The tradition of the elders. That phrase refers to a set of non-biblical rules that had come about since the time of the Babylonian captivity. These rules, understand, these rules were not in the law of God, and that's why I refer to them as non-biblical rules. They weren't necessarily unbiblical or anti-biblical. They were just non-biblical. This was one of the rules in that tradition. Before eating, the elders mandated that you had to wash your hands in a series of ceremonial washings. Now remember, this wasn't a commandment in Scripture. The only similar command in Hebrew Scripture is found in Leviticus 22, 6 and 7, where God gave some instructions to the priests about washing before eating holy offerings. But that's it. That's all you can find. Nothing is said in Hebrew Scripture about the necessity of everyone carrying out some kind of ceremonial washing before eating. Yet that's what the scribes and Pharisees were worked up about when they confronted Jesus on this occasion. Mark gives us more background on the situation in the next verse. He says, When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Now again, not just talking about washing your hands of any dirt you picked up. These ceremonial washings. So when they come, they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. These traditions were the source of the conflict. The disciples didn't follow all these traditions. So the Pharisees and the scribes demanded to know why. Verse 5, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? You see, they wanted to know why the disciples of Jesus didn't follow the tradition of the elders in these ceremonial washings. Now, I'm sure they had the same concern about Jesus, because he didn't follow them either. But they probably weren't willing to address that directly to him, so they just asked about the disciples. 
But Jesus, notice, Jesus chose not to answer their question. That's really interesting. He could have gone into a lengthy explanation about the fact that it is not necessary to keep man-made rules and regulations in religion. He could have done all of that. Instead, he chose to zero in on the issue of their hypocrisy. In verse 6, he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This is a shocking thing that Jesus does here. If you're familiar with how Jesus spoke on occasions to the Pharisees and the scribes, don't let that familiarity rob you of how shocking it was for Jesus to call these Pharisees and scribes hypocrites. This is not the view of Jesus that most people have in our culture. Because most people in our culture assume that love means never being confrontational. Love means never being firm, never being narrow. Yet Jesus calls these religious leaders hypocrites. What is hypocrisy? Let me give a definition. Hypocrisy is when we pretend to be what we are not. It's important that we understand that definition. Hypocrisy, please hear me, hypocrisy is not failure to be all that we want to be. Hypocrisy is not a failure to be all that we should be. We all fall short of that. Hypocrisy is deliberate manipulation of things to cloak ourselves in spirituality when our hearts really aren't interested in obeying or honoring the Lord at that point. Let me give some examples. Hypocrisy is saying, you know, I'd like to be a better husband or wife, but my God-given obligations take up too much of my time and energy. Hypocrisy is saying, oh, I'd like to be at church on Sunday, but I have to get my sleep to be what God wants me to be the rest of the week. Hypocrisy is saying, I'd love, to give, I'd love to give faithfully and generously to the Lord's work, but if I don't have all the things my neighbors have, then I might be a poor testimony to them. Should I stop? Hypocrisy is when we don't want to do what God wants us to do in a specific area of life, so we come up with a clever spiritual reason to get around it. Beloved, this is an age-old problem. The prophet Isaiah even addressed it way back in his day by quoting from the Lord God himself. The end of this verse is a quote from Isaiah in which he himself was quoting the Lord God of Israel who said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That is the essence of the matter. When our hearts are not near to the Lord in the sense of wanting to do what he wants us to do, but we say all the right things with our words, we use all the Christian terminology and biblical terminology, when we're like that, we're being hypocrites. When our hearts are not near to the Lord in the sense of wanting to be what he wants us to be, but we say all the right things with our words, we are being hypocrites. And beloved, it is so easy for us to be like this. It's so easy for us to have hearts 
that don't want to do what God wants us to do in a specific area of life, but we're not willing to be honest about it before God and before ourselves. We convince ourselves that it's not really a, a spiritual problem because, after all, look at what all I'm doing right. Have you ever okayed yourself by thinking that way? Sure you have, and so have I. We justify ourselves by dismissing our disobedience in a specific area of life because we can point to several other areas where we are obeying. And so we think, well, I'm doing well here, here, and here, so no big deal if I'm not obeying here. But that doesn't let us off the hook. Look at it this way. If someone were making you a scrumptious meal with several luscious ingredients, would it be a problem for you if a fly happened to get mixed up in the recipe? Sure it would. But come on. It's only one little fly mixed in with all those other good things. Surely all the other good things overrule that one little fly. It's no big deal. That's not the way you would view it. And that's not the way God views our attempts to dismiss our disobedience in this area of life or this area of life. We, we dismiss it by reminding ourselves of all the areas where we're doing right. Oh, I go to church and I sing the songs and I say the prayers and I put some money in the offering plate and I even give some of my time to the church. So it's no big deal that I fail during the week to do this one thing that God wants me to do. Maybe a better way to say it, it's no big deal that I refuse to do what God wants me to do. Beloved, it is a big deal. It is a big deal because it's a heart issue. And in verse 7, Jesus continuing this quote from Isaiah, who was quoting the Lord God of Israel, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What a powerful statement. In vain they worship me. Do you hear what God is saying here? You and I don't have the right to play the substitute game. We don't have the right to disregard His commands by substituting our own teachings or doctrines in their place. We don't have the right to placate ourselves by coming up with some supposed spiritual reason for getting around what God wants us to do and what God has said. Beloved, we have to be so careful about this tendency. It is so easy for us to have hearts that just don't want to do what God wants us to do in a certain or specific area of life, but we're not willing to be honest about it before God and with ourselves. And when we're not willing to be honest about it, then we are really in trouble because we'll never address it. We'll never come to grips with it. We have to come to terms with it before God and with ourselves. We have to admit it's not a trivial thing. And then we need to take it to the Lord for Him to work in our hearts. That's the only real solution. Otherwise, we just continue along in life practicing hypocrisy to one degree or another. That's what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. So Jesus stated it specifically 
in verse 8, he says, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. That's what they were doing. But it's likely that they weren't willing to see it. They refused to see it. Therefore, Jesus says it again in the very next verse. Verse 9, He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. That was the crux of the issue. They ended up transgressing the commandments of God because of their tradition. You know, you, you could maybe say that it's okay to set up some religious rules and regulations for yourself that don't contradict the Word of God. It's a dangerous practice, but, but you could maybe say that's okay. However, it's dangerous because there are two serious pitfalls. Number one, it's very easy to slip into the habit of imposing the religious rules and regulations you have established for yourself onto others. And then secondly, it almost always results in holding your religious rules and regulations above the Word of God. That's exactly what was going on here. The scribes and Pharisees had embraced the tradition of the elders, so they expected everyone else to follow those man-made religious rules and regulations. And in their zeal to keep the man-made rules and regulations, they ended up violating the Word of God. And the worst part about it was that from what Jesus says in the following verses, it appears that it wasn't accidental. They were eagerly looking for loopholes around the Word of God, and they found a convenient out by following the tradition of the elders. Beloved, do you realize how our hearts are inclined to do this same thing? We set up our, our religious standards, our perspective, and we expect everyone else to follow that. When they don't, we view them as unspiritual or far less spiritual than ourselves. And worst of all, we end up becoming so focused on our rules and regulations and standards that we don't pay close attention to what God has really said in His Word. Thus, we end up failing to keep the commandments of God because of our own set of rules. Not only is this true on an individual level, it's also true on a larger level in organized religion. I'll tell you something. It is scandalous how organized religion, I'm talking about Christian religion, has set aside the Word of God for its own rituals and liturgical furnishings. So often the Word of God can't even be found in the midst of all of the religious trappings. And tragically, there are many people who don't have the knowledge to know the difference between what is biblical and what is merely religious. As a result, they assume that all the religious rituals they are engaging in are somehow fulfilling biblical mandates. And let me tell you, there are literally millions of people in that very condition. They are following organized religion, going through all the motions, fulfilling all the rituals, carrying out all the liturgy, and all the while they think they are pleasing God. 
Yet in many cases, the very things they are doing are actually contrary to the Word of God. Let me give an illustration. If someone partakes of the Lord's Supper because he or she is wanting to gain eternal life, he or she is thinking that that by doing so that it will merit eternal life by eating the literal body and blood of Jesus. That is a religious ritual that is not merely neutral, but is actually unbiblical. That's just one example, and there are many more. What's even worse is when people substitute man-made religious activities in place of God's commands so they don't have to keep God's commands. For example, there are many people in our world, in our nation, in our world, who believe that as long as they make confession to a priest, they don't have to deal with their sins before God and before other people. That is substituting a man-made practice in place of God's Word. That's just one example, and there are many more. It is very easy for our hearts to play the switching game in which we put our own religious thoughts, ideas, doings in place of God's commands. That's exactly what was happening in this situation here. The scribes and Pharisees had come up with a man-made practice that trumped the command of God. So Jesus nails them for it, as we see in the explanation that follows. Verse 10, Jesus is talking here. He says, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Jesus pulls together two commands from Hebrew Scripture that told the people how God wanted them to relate to their parents and treat their parents. The first command, Honor your father and your mother, is found in Exodus 20.12 and Deuteronomy 5.16. And the second command, He who curses father or mother, let him be put to death, is found in Exodus 21.17. In both cases, God was communicating how one ought to relate to his or her parents. Respect should be shown toward parents and care given to them when they are in need. So it's obvious what God expected when he gave those two commands. So how could someone claim to be obeying God and honoring his parents if he was willing to let them go without the basic necessities of life when they were unable to provide for themselves? This was the point Jesus was driving home. If God said to honor your parents, and one of the ways you honor your parents is by making sure they don't go without the basic necessities of life, then that means you have a God-given responsibility to help your parents when they are unable to provide for themselves. That should have been clear enough. But the scribes and Pharisees had taken something that was very clear, and they had trumped it by something that at first glance sounded very spiritual and far more important. Look at verse 11. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift of God. Now hold it right there. You tracking with what Jesus is saying? You see what is going on here? The scribes and Pharisees were basically saying to their parents, Dad and Mom, I know you're old, and I know you don't have any way to support yourselves. Remember, no such thing as Social Security back then. No safety net in society. I know you're old, you don't have any way to support yourselves, but I can't help you out financially because I have devoted all my resources to the Lord. Doesn't that sound spiritual? 
Mom and Dad, I'd really like to help you out, but everything is already committed to the Lord. That's how the scribes and Pharisees got around their responsibility to obey God by honoring their parents. And their example spread throughout much of Jewish society. So many others were following that, that same example and saying the same thing to their parents. The result was that people felt like that justified their neglect of their parents in need, as Jesus points out in the next verse. Verse 12, you think that by saying this, then you no longer have to do anything for father or mother. That's, see verse 12? Then you, by saying that, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Jesus was not confused by their supposed spirituality. It may sound more spiritual to say that your resources are devoted to God, but if you say that with the result that you are disobeying the Word of God, that's not spiritual at all. The people were using that approach to get around something they didn't want to do, frankly. They didn't want to use their financial resources to help out their parents in need, so it was very convenient to say they had made a vow to God that everything belonged to him. And beloved, think about this. There was even a verse in Scripture to which they could point that declared that any vow made to God could not be violated. Numbers 30, verse 2, says that. So here's how the people reasoned. If I make a vow that all my resources belong to God then they can't be used for anything but service to him and not as a resource of financial assistance for my parents. Not only does that sound spiritual, it also sounds complicated. After all, they based their actions on the statement in Numbers 30, verse 2, that a vow to God cannot be violated. So it sounded like they had biblical support for their actions. Do you see how complicated we make things when we desire to get around something that we just don't want to do? Now, don't, don't look down your nose at this and say, that is just silly. That's ridiculous. We are just like this sometimes. Maybe not with these exact specifics. But we don't want to do what we should do in a certain area of life. And we come up with these convoluted, complicated, self-justifying reasons why it's okay that we don't obey the Word of God. For example, we don't want to make the sacrifice to be the kind of husband we ought to be, or wife we ought to be, or employee we ought to be, or just whatever it is. So we say things such as, well, I can't do that for you because I need to have my devotions in prayer time. Isn't that convenient? Or we can even twist it around the other way. We can say, you know, I'd like to go to church for worship instruction, but I have a responsibility to provide for my family, so I better just work on Sundays instead. Or I'd like to go to church for worship and instruction, but I have a responsibility to take care of myself as the temple of the Holy Spirit, so I'd better sleep in and spend the rest of the day relaxing by the river. Oh, how deceitful we can be in our hearts. When we desire to get around something that we don't want to do, we can be very creative in our ways of rationalizing or justifying. And when we do, Jesus says we're making the word of God of no effect. We're in essence canceling out the authority of the word of God by our own manipulation and our own contriving. And listen, when we behave like that, 
There is a word for us. Jesus used it in this text. Hypocrites. Even though we can make our reasoning sound very spiritual, very biblical, when we use supposed scriptural reasoning to get around something God wants us to do but we don't want to do, when we do like that, we're being hypocrites. And remember what we saw earlier in the message. God doesn't want our worship. Even if it's biblical worship, when there are areas of our lives that we are unwilling to address. Let's ask the Spirit of God to show us what they are and let's address them. Would you please bow your head with me? And would you please with me do that very thing? That is, don't just bow your head and close your eyes and close your Bible. Ask God right now, ask the Spirit of God Show me where I'm doing this, Lord. Show me where I'm being hypocritical. Where I'm cloaking my refusal to do what you want me to do. I'm cloaking it in spiritual terminology. I'm cloaking it even in biblical terminology. Because I just don't want to do what I ought to do. Ask the Spirit of God to show you where there are areas of your life like that and address them. Don't placate yourself by saying, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm doing really well in all these other areas. Doesn't matter. Doesn't let us off the hook. Ask the Spirit of God. Let's all ask the Spirit of God to show us where we do this very thing that was so displeasing to our Lord Jesus. Father, as we close our time together this morning, it's so easy for us to look back at the scribes and Pharisees and see how ridiculous they were in their reasoning and yet how blind we are to our own attempts to do the same thing. But because the specifics aren't the same, we don't see it. We don't, we don't readily recognize it. Yet the reasoning is the same as theirs was. We just don't want to do what we are supposed to do. We just don't want to follow a scriptural passage or scriptural pattern. And so we come up with some creative way around it, making it sound spiritual, using Bible verses to try to quote them in support of the fact that we just don't want to do what we ought to do. Father, show us. Please, please show us where we are like this in our lives. And may we have the fortitude, the willingness to address those things. Not to ignore them. Not to justify them. Not to rationalize around them because we do other things properly or we're doing other things in a way that you want us to. May we never, ever lapse into this, this line of reasoning, this way of thinking and be comfortable. Don't let us be comfortable. Shake us. Prod us. Whatever it takes. Move us off of dead center when we're like this. And Father, in closing, we pray for anyone who is here with us who doesn't know your son Jesus Christ. In all likelihood, there are those here this morning in that spiritual condition. They've never surrendered 
to Christ. They've never received him as Lord and Savior. Even though the focus of what Jesus has taught us this morning is on our own hearts, as believers, our own tendency to be hypocritical, certainly this is your word, and you can use it in the lives of those who don't know Christ. May you do so as we pray in his name. Amen.